0: all right what about now all right fantastic (laughs) well with that suitably awkward transition uh good morning (coughs) i am uh brendan norton i'm a pastoral intern here at king of grace church Uh, happy to be here on this wonderful father's day um and so just to give a a brief confession before i start my sermon I really don't like the 1980s. (laughs) I know that shocks everyone (laughs) when I say that. There are just uh, so many things I don't like about it. Uh, I don't like that synthesizer music was in so many movies. Uh, I don't like that country music became popular. I don't like Ghostbusters, the Smurfs, E.T. All of you are very upset, I know. (laughs) One thing I do like about the 80s, my wife was born in the 80s, so just have to put that in there so she doesn't hurt me when I get home. Uh, <laughs> now, generally disliking the 80s, um, basically until about a year ago, there was one piece of 80s Americana I had never seen, or never, never enjoyed, and uh, that was Back to the Future. Who, who here has seen Back to the Future? Okay, everybody. (laughs) So, yes, until I was about 26 years old, I had never actually seen uh, Back to the Future. And the reason why is I knew that it was the quintessential 80s movie. Whenever I think about the 80s or, you know, they have like that, the 80s show on uh, TV, you know, you just see images of the DeLorean and Marty McFly and all that, and I just thought, Man, if I don't like the 80s, I'm definitely going to hate this movie. So I just never watched it. I just kind of let it pass by. And uh, it just so happens that in school I had a friend, Ethan, who uh, loved that movie, absolutely uh, loved it. And so after about a year or two of harassing me, um, I finally decided to sit down and watch it. And, and bear in mind, I had convinced myself that this was going to be an awful movie because I just didn't like the 80s. And I am happy to report that I was completely wrong. It was a great movie. Uh, So entertaining, so fun. Um, Best part about it was it took place mostly in the 1950s. So (laughs) that was great there. Um, And so I had to finally admit to my friend that, you know what? This was a good movie. I appreciate you uh, helping me to see it. And so you may be wondering, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, Well, let me say that the reason why, again, I did not like or like the concept of watching Back to the Future was I had convinced myself that it was going to be bad. Just based on other things I I knew or or disliked, I had absolutely told myself this is going to be a bad movie. That's what it is. Uh, so in a, in a very minor way, I had deceived myself into thinking, this is just going to be bad, I'm not going to enjoy it, it's going to be an awful time. Uh, and certainly that's, that's silly. That's a silly example of, of deceiving yourself. But what if I or you deceived ourselves about something of more importance than a movie? Uh, what if we deceived ourselves about things of a far greater import? or even ultimate import, what if we actually deceived ourselves about who God as our father is? Imagine what uh, the repercussions of that could be. Um, We wouldn't just be missing out on a movie, we'd be missing out on the source of life itself. But let's say that we had deceived ourselves, um, just like my experience of Back to the Future. What if it turns out that If we have an inaccurate view of God, if we have a perspective of him uh, that's not befitting of him, what if it turns out that he's far better, far greater, far more good and generous as a father um, than we ever could have imagined? And so today, that is what we are going to see. Um, We're going to see that we're not to deceive ourselves about God, but rather recognize that he is a good and generous father. And so if you will, turn with me to James 1, 16 through 18. Again, that's James 1, 16 through 18. And I'm just going to pray for us as we're doing that. Father, thank you so much for, uh, Lord, just the the fact that you are good, uh, that you're the source of goodness, that um, you care for us and you love us deeply. And God, I just pray that you would bless your word today, Lord. Let it speak truth. um, Let it speak life. um, And let it represent you accurately as you are. just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So James 1, 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, before we jump into the passage itself, we kind of have to understand the context because this is really just a small snippet of a much larger um, passage uh, that, that James has written. So, coming at the beginning of uh, James's letter, uh, he is talking first uh, to uh, the churches about suffering and about how there's to be joy and, and growth in that. Um, and as he transitions, uh, that's the first 12 verses. Um, in verses 13 through 15, uh, he makes the point, uh, as he's talking about suffering, that Christians are not to Uh, say that God is somehow tempting them to sin um, in the midst of these trials. So uh, verses 13 through 15. uh, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. What James is saying here, um, again, within the context of speaking of trials that Christians may go through, um, we're not to think that God is somehow tempting us to, to do evil, to participate in evil. And in fact, that uh, desire to do evil uh, isn't coming from God. It's actually coming from within us. Um, that the desires of the human heart are in opposition to god and to his goodness and as such that is the reason uh, why sin uh, continues and that ultimately leads to spiritual death and so verse 16 of our passage uh, james says do not be deceived my beloved brothers and that deception what he's referring to is that idea this idea that god is somehow tempting us to evil god is somehow tempting us to sin and so this is this inaccurate idea of god that he's presented this this view of god as is somehow being the source of evil or the source of of sin and so james says you know quite appropriately do not be deceived but as we read that do not be deceived who who is doing the deceiving here um you know, certainly we're to be wary of Satan and his lies. Um, you know, he is the, the great tempter himself. He's the great liar ever since the beginning, tempting Adam and Eve into sin. He uh, creates temptation for us uh, in our life. So he could be one uh, person that we're supposed to avoid being deceived by. Uh, we could also think maybe he's referring to the pressures of a, a society. There are cultural norms, cultural ideas that may be in opposition to God, and perhaps we need to be on the lookout for that, maybe society is saying one thing about God you know that 's a possibility, um, and certainly you know, regardless, we should be wary of those things, uh, but here James is not talking about some type of external deception he's not saying, be wary of Satan and his lies, be wary of uh, society or anything like that, um, what he's really getting at is self-deception, uh, that we are in danger of deceiving ourselves. Uh, and the reason we know this is he's just talked about evil desires or temptation isn't coming from the outside, coming from God. It's coming from the inside of our, our human hearts. And so uh, that is what we need to be on the lookout for is that we can deceive ourselves about who God is. We can deceive ourselves um, about his character, about his nature, because our hearts are uh, bent out of shape, uh, bent away from God, bent towards sin and evil. And so, you know, one thing you might hear in our culture today is, you know, you're to follow your heart, follow your dreams, You know, this interior life inside of you, that's the real you. And so you have to just follow whatever that is kind of moving you in that direction. Um, However, the Bible says in in Jeremiah 17, 9, heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Um, Again, this underscores the idea that it is ourselves who can deceive ourselves that the enemy lurking isn't outside of us, um, at least in this passage, but it's inside of us. And so uh, James is saying don't be deceived, specifically about the character of God. God is not this tempter, God is not this bringer of evil into our lives. And he's gonna go on in the next verses to explain uh, what God is actually like. But you may be thinking, you know, I I don't think I'm deceptive of myself. You know, I think I'm pretty, you know, I have my wits about me. Um, I don't think I'm I'm lying to myself uh, at any time, Uh, which is evidence you probably are lying to yourself (laughs) if you don't think you do. Uh, And so just to give an an example of this, um, there is uh, one particular thing I lie to myself about all the time. Um, Almost every weekend and sometimes after work, and uh, that is about how long I'm going to take a nap for. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I get sleepy, I get tired, and uh, I always tell my wife, you know, could you just come and wake me in like 15 or 30 minutes? Like, that's all I need. I'm, I'm going to be fine. And she always looks at me like, you sure, Brendan? You know, you tend to sleep. I'm like, nah, it'll be fine. And so I'm convinced, I've convinced myself, 15, 20 minutes, I'll wake up, I'll be golden birds will be singing, the sky will open up. Uh, Now, what actually happens uh, when I get back to reality is uh, she will try to wake me in that 15 or 20 minutes uh, and I will groggily look up at her and say, five more minutes, please. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour. Just leave me alone, go away. (laughs) One of those responses I will give to her. uh, And again, this is a silly example, but this has probably happened hundreds of times Uh, times in the past three years, uh, I have uh, deceived myself into thinking that this time is going to be different, that I'm actually only going to need 15 minutes, that I'm not going to beg for more time, uh, that I'm not going to ask her to leave me alone so I can sleep the the day away. Um, And it stands to reason, um, I'm sure there's something like that for all of us. Um, maybe it's something silly, maybe it's something a little more serious, but it stands to reason that if we can convince ourselves of a, of a deception as small as something like that, then it is very possible we could convince ourselves of, of something much greater. Um, you know, I think of today's society, um, and just the proliferation of conspiracy theories, um, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, just trying to think of any right now, but, um, you know, Bill Gates has organized coronavirus to implant us with chips and, I don't know, download Microsoft Word into our brains or something like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we can definitely deceive ourselves into thinking some crazy things. And so we need to be aware of that reality for ourselves. Um, And we really need to be careful about self-deception again when it comes to what we think about god um, it can be very easy based on our experiences based on on what we think uh, our emotions um, all different things to think of god as bad to think of him as cruel or mean or again in the the context of this passage as a as tempting us to sin Um, but We need to make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves. And the best way to not deceive ourselves about God is to learn who he is, to understand who he is. And the best way to do that is through studying his word, through understanding what he has said to us, what he has said about himself. And that's exactly what James is going to do because as a writer of scripture, he's going to continue uh, to move on to then describe what is God actually like. Um, If we're to avoid self-deception, if you're telling me that God isn't this great tempter, um, then who exactly is God? And so that gets to verse 17. Um, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. To sum that up, as opposed to being, again, this tempter to evil, James is saying that God is actually uh, the source of good. God is this generous, consistent Father um, who loves us and who lavishes gifts on us. So we have this, this phrase, uh, every good and perfect gift uh, coming from above. So notice there um, that word coming down, um, we have this idea God is giving us gifts. Um, and notice how it doesn't say gifts came down. Gifts are going to come down. Uh, gifts are, you know, right around the corner, anything like that. It's this continuous action, it's this present tense. These gifts are coming down. This is happening right now for all of us. There isn't this uh, well certainly there are things in the future that have been in the past, but the emphasis here, is on this action continuing into the present, happening right now um, for us. And so we understand now that God is, is continually giving uh, gifts and, and what exactly are these gifts? What are, what are these gifts that God is giving? So I think in a, in a broad perspective, God is the source of good. The things that we recognize as fundamentally good, um, those are actually stemming from God himself. Uh, The fact that we have basic necessities like food and water, um, the fact that we have a a consistent and constant um, planet in which we know that there will be rain, know that there will be sun. We're not going to wake up one day and the sun has exploded or anything like that. Um, We can trust that the laws of nature are constant and consistent. Um, We have family, we have friends, uh, we have uh, even some wants that God uh, uh, deems uh, to, to give us at times. All of these things, all of these, these good things, even our ability to enjoy it, to feel that joy, uh, those are things coming from God because he is not in our self-deceived mind one bringing evil to us, but in fact he's one bringing good to us. If he's not the source of evil, then it stands to reason he must be the source of good. And so this is the first part of how james is portraying god that he is this generous good god who's continuously giving us gifts now there could be perhaps an objection to this again we're we're trying to get rid of of self-deception get rid of negative ideas or untrue ideas about god but maybe you hear this idea about god being generous and and giving gifts and you think to yourself well What about those people who maybe don't have basic necessities of food or water? Um, You know, what gift is is God giving them? What about um, the whole world right now being in the midst of a a global pandemic? Um, What kind of gift is that? Maybe for you, you feel like your family isn't a blessing, but it's actually a curse. What kind of gift is that? And so you are presenting this objection to this idea as God being this good and generous gift giver. And what I would say in, in response to this is, is just a few things. Um, the first thing I would say is that God is fundamentally merciful and compassionate to sufferers. Matthew nine thirty six says this about Jesus as he um, was uh, alive and, and in the midst of, of human beings. Uh, he says this of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God's fundamental heart is one of compassion to his people. And so maybe if you're asking these questions, and it is a genuine question, why, how can you say God is good and generous if these are the things that are experienced in life? Um, I would let you know that God does not dismiss or look down upon that, upon that struggle, uh, but looks at that with a heart of compassion and a heart of love. That would be the first thing I would say. Secondly, and and this is from James itself, um, suffering in many cases is something to be rejoiced in because there is a greater reward at the end of it. In James 1-2, uh, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Something else to, to think about as we maybe ask about the, the goodness and generosity of God is that even in that suffering itself, those experiences can be gifts that bring us a much greater good than we otherwise would have. Um, You know, as a a small example, um, you know, if you look at people who practice martial arts, if you look at people who uh, maybe do boxing or MMA, you know, sometimes you will see videos of them actually punching sand or, or punching some type of hard object And the reason why they're doing that, just scientifically, is uh, it's causing tiny fractures in their uh, hand bones, um, in their knuckles, um, that of course in the midst of it that kind of hurts and that is uncomfortable, uh, but once it heals those bones are actually much stronger than they would be otherwise. Um, That's a case where these microfractures actually cause um, the existing bone to be a lot stronger. And that's something that wouldn't happen if they weren't fracturing their hands, if they weren't causing these small uh, little fissures and and things of that nature. So even in just a small example, you can see that at times suffering can bring about good. And in the the context of James, that good isn't just stronger hands. Uh, That good is the ability to persevere, to keep faith in God, to know who he is in the midst of suffering and to become perfect and complete, to become like God. And so that is the second thing I would say, is that um, things that we may not see as gifts can, in due time, bring about greater gifts than there otherwise would be. And then finally, the last thing I would point out to us is the rock-solid and iron-clad promise of God from Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For us as believers, we have this promise that even things that are terrible, things that are not preferable, things that cause suffering for us, they are going to work out for the ultimate good, for our ultimate good, maybe not the good at the moment. Um, Certainly we're not to enjoy Suffering uh, in and of itself, but we can know that God is eventually going to work those things for a good purpose. Um, And as finite human beings, we can't always see the grand picture. We don't know what events of our lives are going to affect other people, how God is going to bring glory to Himself through the things that we suffer. But we know, based on His word, based on His promise, that that is going to happen, that we are going to see ultimate good. Derive from the things that happen to us. And so, again, if if these are questions you have about how God can be good and generous, I would point you to his word uh, as it further explains, as it further develops the idea that God is good and generous, um, that that is a truth about God and that we're not to be deceived thinking otherwise. Now, again, thinking through this, thinking through potential objections, potential avenues to think other of God than who he is, Uh, what ground or reason do we have to think that God is going to continue to be like this? How do we know, uh, you know, let's say, all right, I bought it. God is good. He's generous. Sure. Uh, But how do I know that that's going to be the same throughout all time? How do I know that tomorrow... No, God's just going to wake up and decide, "You know what? really don't like you anymore. Um, I'm going to stop being generous. I'm going to start being stingy. I'm going to start being hateful towards you. Um, you know, I'm going to, to walk out on you. I'm going to abandon you. How? Um, how are we to, to have confidence that that's not going to happen? And so thankfully, if that is something we're thinking, um, James gives us hope and assurance. In the second part of this passage and so James says that these gifts are coming down from the father of lights and uh, there's the Father's Day connection Um, (laughs) God uh, is called the father of lights here uh, by James and that is a little bit of a um, you know confusing term what is he referring to and so to the original audience reading that, saying God is the father of lights, what people would probably be thinking is that he's saying he's the father of the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars. Um, He is the creator of them, he's the source, therefore he can be called the father. Um, Which, you know, why would James say that? Um, It seems somewhat unrelated to the point he's making um it, it just seems like a, a kind of random add- on uh, about God, you know by the way, he also created this um, he also did this um, you know it'd be uh, as if um, you know someone were introducing you and just told a weird story when you were two that has nothing to do with the point of introducing you, but it's an interesting fact nonetheless now uh, James is not just throwing that in there um. And he goes on to kind of explain why uh, he says that um, with the next phrase of what he says. He says, God is the father of lights. Uh, but then he says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And that's a very weird phrase. No one would, would say that. It's not um, you know, a turn of phrase in English today. Um, but for uh, this time in, in Greek, uh, that was likely actually a technical term referring to the movement of, of heavenly bodies. So the, the movement of planets, the movement of stars, as they were perceived uh, by the ancients. And so hearing this, understanding that God is the father of lights, James is making a, a sort of comparison. Um, heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, they, they move. They, uh, you know, the sun rises, the sun sets. Um, You know, the moon is here at night and it's gone during the day. Um, As we perceive it, you know, it may appear that the stars are changing their position as we look into the sky, and certainly we know planets actually are doing that. But God does not change. God does not move. God does not uh, become different in any way. Um, Though his creation, these lights, these heavenly bodies may move, there may be uh, change in them, God does not change. And that's the bedrock of of why we can know that God will continue to be kind, that he will continue to be generous. Uh, This idea that God doesn't change is what theologians call God's immutability. Um, He is unable to change in any way. And What that has as value for us as we're understanding that is God is not going to change in his character. Uh, If, as we're reading in scripture, it's saying God is generous, God is the giver of good gifts. He's not going to be the giver of good gifts today. And then a year from now, he's going to be um, the withholder of gifts. Um, You know, as the Bible says that he is kind, he is merciful, he is good, Um, He is not going to change from being good and merciful and true to being uh, harsh and unforgiving and a liar. Uh, God is not uh, constitutionally going to do that in any way. And so we can trust what he's saying here. We can trust that when James says he is good and he is a generous father, that that is going to be the case today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. God is going to be consistent. He is going to be the same. And so that's why we're able to trust um, what James is saying. That That is why we're able to say, okay, viewing God this way is a deception, but this is the reality. And this is the reality because God is not going to be different tomorrow or the next day. And as a counterexample to that, thinking about change, um, everything else really does change. You know, James is using this example of uh, the heavenly bodies, the, the sun, the moon, the planets, uh, so forth and so on. Um, and we know that they move, we know that they change. Um, but even us ourselves, we change. Um, that almost doesn't need to be said. But just think about it. In, in just every way, you are absolutely subject to the whims of change. Did you know that in seven to 10 years, almost every uh, cell in your body is going to be replaced by a new cell, it's gonna regenerate? So myself at the age of 20, maybe beyond some brain cells and other things, this is a completely different Brendan, Um, physically. Completely different cells, I have have completely changed. And in seven to 10 years from now, there's gonna be a different Brendan. Um, and a different Toby, uh, a different um, Stefano, all these people uh, are going to change physically. So maybe, you know, that's, you know, fine. We can change physically. Um, But then let's think about other things like our character um, as opposed to the character of God. Um, Certainly we want to strive to be consistent. We want to have integrity, uh, whereby... How we act in one uh, scenario is the same as we act in another. Um, We wanna keep our promises, we wanna do these things, but uh, no one is able to maintain that 100% of the time. And in almost arbitrary ways, we can change our behavior and our character. Um, For many of you, if you don't have a coffee in the morning, you are a far different person (laughs) for that first hour or so when you walk into work Uh, than when you come back after you've been refreshed by some caffeine and no one really wants to be around you for that first hour. Um, You know, just little things like that, not having a certain drink can change us, um, can make us a different person. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't want to put my ultimate hope in that. I wouldn't want to, um, you know, place my bet uh, that every, everyone is going to be 100% consistent moment to moment when I can't. Um, but the good news is, is that God is not like that at all. He doesn't wake up in the morning, well, he doesn't wake up in the morning at all, but uh, suffice it to say, uh, you know, we're not waiting on God to have his morning cup of coffee to be good and generous and kind. Um, God is just, again, as generous and kind today uh, and next year and 10 years from now as he is right now and so we can have this confidence we can trust um and believe james that we're not to deceive ourselves because god is good and we know he's good because he's consistent he's consistently going to be good um jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and so we can trust in his goodness in his generosity and again for uh the mind that may be be saying to itself, well, you know, all this is well and good, but I'm still not convinced. I I still am am telling myself God cannot be this good. God cannot be uh, this kind. Well, James has one final card up his sleeve um, for that last element of of self-deception. And that's what we see in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures and so in this final verse to sum it up initially we uh, can trust in god's fatherly generosity because it's best exemplified in god's gift of the gospel itself and so As James explains uh, what he's saying, the first thing he says is that of his own will, he brought us forth. Um, James is placing an emphasis on the fact that uh, this gift God is is giving us that he's going to to detail a little bit more um, is not something God's compelled to do. It's not something that um, he's begrudgingly forced to do. Um, It's something that he wants to do, that he has... Uh, a desire to do. This is of his own free will, his own free accord. Nothing is constraining him to give this gift. And this gift is bringing us forth, which literally means to, to bring us to birth, to, to birth us. Um, and this isn't talking about us just being born as, as we naturally are, uh, but this is referring to this new birth, this new uh, creation that we become uh, as we place our faith in Christ and we know this because he says that the means of accomplishing this is by the word of truth that God by his free will brings us to this new birth by the word of truth and the purpose of that is that we can be the first fruits the the prime the best the 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 cream of the crop so to speak of his creation and so what's important to understand about this is, is what is this new birth? What is this word of truth that James is talking about? And that is the gospel. Um, that is the good news of Jesus Christ to us. Um, that is always good and, and great to, to hear and be reminded of. Um that word of truth, and, and this is that word of truth, this is that gospel, that God originally made creation in his generosity and his goodness. Uh, he created a world, uh, and in that world he, he populated it with all sorts of creatures, all sorts of animals, um, and then he created man. Um, and he created man uh, out of love to fellowship with him, to make mankind uh, co-rulers Of creation to make us priests to God um, in perfect fellowship and perfect relationship with God Um, but human beings chose to be deceived into thinking that God was not as good as he said he was that what little limitations he put on them were actually bad were actually God trying to prevent us from being more like him and so in transgressing God's commandment to not eat of the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, um, human beings then became rebels against God. Uh, we chose, rather than God's good and generous ways, we chose rather to follow our own ways. And the result of that is now every person alive, every person who has lived, uh, with one exception, um, is now in enmity with God, is in rebellion against God um, and his goodness and that our very nature, the interior uh, person that we are, rather than being good and and wholesome and having these good desires is characterized by evil, is characterized by rebellion to God. And the result of that is, is spiritual death and that is the punishment that God righteously gives those who would turn away from him But that is not the end of the story. Um, This is not the end to which God wanted his his people or his his creation to to go to. And so 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to become a man and to die on a cross to take that just penalty for sin, to take that uh, death sentence on himself. Uh, And in doing so, Releasing us from that penalty, releasing us from uh, that righteous judgment of God. And in doing that, he died, but he was raised to life by God so that we too can be raised to life, that we can experience this new life, this new reality, this new birth that James is talking about. Uh, And now, as we look to the future, We are going to experience living as God's first fruits. We are going to experience uh, living in perfect fellowship with God forever, uh, with his family, the church, with his people, um, where there will be no suffering, there will be no pain whatsoever. And so this is the word of truth that uh, James is presenting. And if nothing else convinces us that God is good and generous, if nothing else can break us of that self-deception, then let this word do that. Let the knowledge of God's generosity in the ultimate sense break that deception, that God so loved the world that he generously gave up his own son, that the son himself generously gave up his own life for us, and that the spirit has generously decided to now dwell in us, as human beings, this is the word of truth. This is the ultimate gift of generosity. And so as Christians, we can certainly attest to the fact that this has changed our lives, that we understand this is a new birth. We understand um, that this is the generosity of God. Um, But perhaps there are some of you maybe at home, maybe uh, here who have not Experience that, who've not experienced this gospel that I'm talking about. And what I'd say to you is one of the best parts about the gospel uh, is that it is a gift and that all you have to do to take advantage of that gift to receive it um, is simply to, as the Bible says, repent and believe. It's to uh, repent, which is just to say, God, the way that I've been walking, the way that I have been living my life is in opposition to you, and I know it's not good. And instead, I want to follow you. I recognize that you're generous and consistent and trustworthy. And so I want to follow you, and I believe that you did send your son Jesus to die for my sins. And that is just the ele- That is just what belief is. It's just placing your trust. And so I would implore you, if, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, um, To do that to just that one uh, that simple idea of just receiving that gift from a generous God and certainly if you have already received that generous gift of God to remind yourself of that to understand on this Father's Day uh, that whatever your earthly father was like whether he was uh, good approaching perfection or perhaps he was absent or cruel that you have a good and generous father who gave you the ultimate gift possible, the gift of new life and fellowship with him. And so in just our our final considerations of this passage, uh, just to remind us of of what James has said to us, um, we have to avoid that self-deception. We have to avoid this idea that God is somehow this bringer of evil, uh, that God is somehow... um, deigning to tempt us into sin. And instead, we're to understand that God, again, is this generous Father who's not only generous and constantly giving us gifts, but who is consistent, who's never going to fail us, who's never going to uh, turn a blind eye to us, who's never going to change. And that we can absolutely know that because God has given us the ultimate gift, again, and that gift is life uh, in Christ through the gospel. And so I pray today that uh, these words bless you um, and that God would strengthen your faith and, and grow it in him. Thank you.